Now, we're going to talk today about a footprint that I think would be very helpful as we leave 06 and head into 07. It's the footprint of forgiveness. While you find Mark chapter 14, uh, I've thought about this phrase all week. All's well that ends well. You know, wrapping up 06, kind of closing out the year, and I'm sure you're all thinking about resolutions, which ones you're going to make so you can break this year and not feel as guilty about them, right? And there's the old line, all's well that ends well. But question for you, what if it doesn't end well? Like in Peter's case. I mean, if you were to ask Peter in Mark 14, is this the end? He would have said, you bet it is, and it's not ending well. Let me show what I'm talking about. Mark 14, verse 66. While Peter was below in the courtyard, he's speaking here now about Peter's presence at the building, so to speak, or the residence, or at least the office area of the high priest is where they took Jesus Christ. This is the night of his betrayal. And so he had been carried away and Peter had kind of followed at a distance. So he's kind of downstairs in the courtyard milling around. The high priest, the um, religious leaders are upstairs and they've got Jesus and they've been questioning him. In fact, you can read about that in the previous verses. So while that's been going on, Peter is below in the courtyard. One of the servant girls of the high priest came by. So that tells you which side she's on, right? When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. This is Mark 14, verse 66, 67. And she says to him, you also were with that Nazarene, Jesus. Verse 68, but he denied it. I think he's probably thinking this is the end. I don't know that Peter really clued in to all of the prophecies about the temple being torn down and raising it in three days, speaking of the Lord's body, he's probably thinking, man, we're at the end and he's not coming back. So you know what? I might as well get out while the getting's good, so to speak. So he denies it. Verse 68 says, I don't know or understand what you're talking about. And then he went out into the entryway. Now, understand something about that verse. That's a very legal way to deny involvement. Isn't that interesting that That he was in the courtyard of the high priest. Christ was kind of on a mock trial in the residential office of the high priest. And what does Peter do? The Greek construction of this phrase is he gives a very legal answer. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. Almost like today's uh, plea the fifth. You know, or the famous line, I don't remember. In other words, I think he probably gave a very legal kind of political answer based on where he was and the culture and the, count, the, the situation, he wanted to make sure that they had nothing to pin on him. But that didn't work because the servant girl saw right through it. She could tell he was just taking the witness stand approach, as you might say. Verse 69, When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. But again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. And other Gospels seem to indicate that his his words, his 
His dialect, the way he spoke, gave him away. I know how that feels. Verse 71 says, He began to call down curses on himself. Interesting phrase, isn't it? On himself. And he swore to them and he said, I don't know this man you're talking about. This is not a legal professional or political denial. This was simply an emotional um, eruption of of his desire to be disassociated with this Jesus. For he thought it was the end and it's not ending well. So you know what? I'll make sure I get out of this situation as quick as possible. This was Peter. Listen very carefully. This was Peter's worst moment. This is by far his largest fall. This was his denial. You know, I look at this denial, I, I, I think something I want to share with you about it is this. His denial was very foreseeable. You know, we read this text and we think to ourselves, wow, he lost control. He was very impetuous. He seems to, out of nowhere, just say, I don't know this man, but the truth is it really wasn't that way. This denial, this fall, this moment of, of uh, regret was very foreseeable. Let me show you a couple of things very quickly that might give us some insight into our own moments when we're tempted this way. Look back at verse 29. Verse 29 of the same chapter. I'm going to walk you through what I think is, is sure signs that Peter was headed for a fall. Look at verse 29. Peter declared, even if everyone falls away, what did he say? I will not. You know what? Can I say something to you? The, the, the first year sign that destruction is on the way is if when you think it's not. The wise writer of Proverbs says that pride goes before a what? Is this not a proudful verse? I mean the word proudful. Is this not a proud verse? Is this not a, a, a statement just packed with pride? Jesus, if everybody falls, all of a sudden the chest rises up. I won't. You know, great falls, and watch me here, are usually preceded by great declarations. Check out history, the history of the church in the last 100, 200 years. And some of our greatest fallen Leaders, there, whether it's been a moral fall or some type of integrity issue, has usually been preceded within a matter of months before that fall by some grandiose statement about how they would never or they would never think of. I want to caution you, First Family, as you leave 06 and enter 07, watch out for grandiose, huge statements about what you might do. You actually might be setting yourself up. Pride goes before the law. This was Peter's first step toward the last part of the chapter. Look down at verse uh, 38. Christ came and found Peter sleeping. He calls him Simon in verse 37. And he says, watch and pray. What does the next phrase say? Don't miss this. So that you will not fall into temptation. But what was Peter doing? Was he watching and praying? What was he doing? He was snoozing. So if he's not watching and praying, which is how you avoid the fall of temptation, he was snoozing. Guess what's just around the corner? 
temptation and to fall. And you know what the temptation for us will be sometimes? To forget the basics of watching and praying. Time in the Word every single day to build up the basic foundation. We'll say, I don't have time for that. I'm too busy today. The very thing that keeps us from the fall sometimes are the very things that we avoid. And then we're surprised when we have a moment of denial. But Peter was headed right down the road. He made some grandiose statement. Then he forgot the basics. Look with me, verse 47. Then one of those standing near drew his sword. He's speaking of Peter here. Check the other Gospels. The Synoptic Gospels prove this. One of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Sometimes when we know that we haven't matched up to the, to the basics, we're thinking, man, I've dropped the ball. Then we go and we do something extraordinary. We kind of have a knee-jerk reaction and we have an emotional outburst. Peter was trying to solve the, the whole problem in one fell swoop. I'll get him! And he went for his neck, probably, didn't he? Missed and got his ear. Peter was definitely an up and down kind of guy, which is a sign that something may be up around the corner. Because if you're up and down, emotional roller coaster syndrome, then when you're up, guess what's next? Down. After he took a swipe at the, soul, the high priest servant's neck and missed, he was up. Don't worry, Jesus! I'm there! Super Peter! And he's coming in to save the day, right? That's enough, isn't it? Guess what was next? The down. You see, guys, the signs of his denial really are all in the Scripture. What he did was very foreseeable. Look at verse 54. And you ought to just underline these different verses because it shows the the digression that Peter was under. Verse 54, Peter followed him at a distance. I discovered that Following at a distance is usually the thing we do after a mountaintop. Because as we're headed down, we don't like the feeling of of the downward spiral. Man, it was so great at that retreat. The men's retreat, the the women's retreat, the the thing we did, the revival. It was so awesome. Why can't it stay like that forever? I don't understand. So if it's really this way, I'm just going to check out for a while. We find a distance view. Because we're not sure we're going to like the fact that we have to kind of get back into the normal routine of life, doing the basics, following Christ. I want the high! I want the extraordinary! As you look at verse 29, 38, 47, and 54, I say to you, verse 70 is not a surprise. When he cursed at himself and swore at those, I don't know the man. The last 24 hours had been just that way, hadn't they? Up and down. Up and down. Close and at a distance. But I want to say something else to you about this denial. While it was foreseeable, it was also forgivable. I want to show you this interesting verse. Verse 72. It says that immediately the rooster crowed the second time. And then the Bible says that Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Which if you check back earlier, when he made this great statement that he would never deny, Jesus said to him, Peter, I think this is kind of hidden in the text, by the way, what I'm about to say to you. He probably said, Peter, you speak like a crazy man. That's in the Greek. You don't see that in this translation, but I think it's there, okay? He said, you, you, you're going to deny me in the next 24 hours. In fact, you're going to deny me three times. 
even before the rooster crows twice, which, by the way, I think is a is a uh, a timeline. The rooster crowed at certain times, and when he the rooster crowed twice, it was symbolic of it was actually signaling this certain time frame of the day. And sure enough, within a matter of hours of Peter making some awesome statement about his in, incredible commitment, guess what happened? Peter heard and he's like, my goodness, it's only been a few hours. That's the second crow. That means it's only been a few hours. I, I did just what he said. I denied him three times. The Bible says that when he realized that, he broke down and wept. Something else happened in this exchange as well. He was following at a distance, but Luke 22 tells us that when he denied him three times and the rooster crowed, that the Lord looked at him. Now, I'm going to do a little what I call um, creative textual interpretation here. Work with me. I believe that in that look and in the remembrance of those words, Peter, now watch this here, Peter did not feel, oh my goodness, it's over. I think he realized, wow, he was right. And he felt shame in the right sense of the word. He felt conviction. But he, somewhere in that look and those words, he realized, this is awful, but it's not over. I really believe that somewhere Christ gave a look of compassion, yes, of indignation, and of yes, of like, almost like, a, I told you, Peter, but there must have been something in that look and those words where Peter felt like, you know what? What I've just done is my worst moment, but it's not the end. This is forgivable. Something good's got to come out of this. And the word text doesn't, doesn't precisely say that. I believe that somewhere in Peter's heart, he realized, you know what? This can't be the end. I can't stop this here. And he went out and wept bitterly. You know why I think he wept? I think he wept. First of all, he felt awful. And let's just be honest. He felt terrible, but I also think he wept because he knew somewhere as he looked at Jesus and remembered those words, okay, there's got to be a second chance. If there wasn't a second chance, you know what he'd have done? He said, I don't care what you look at me like, Jesus. I don't care what you said. You're dying anyway. He'd have probably got very sarcastic. He'd have probably become even more belligerent and said, hey, what do you care? You're going to be hung anyway. But somewhere in that moment of repentance, he realized he really is who he said he is. There's more to the story than just His crucifixion. Maybe some things started clicking from what Christ said. He went out and He wept bitterly. Aren't you glad that in our worst moments, while often they're foreseeable, they're also forgivable? Aren't you thankful for that? Look back at 06 with me. I'm going to ask you to do a very difficult thing here. Look back at your worst moment. More than likely, it was foreseeable. Maybe your friends didn't know it. Or let's say it like this. Maybe your friends didn't have the courage to say to you, hey, things just aren't going well in your life. Can we talk? It doesn't doesn't seem like good trends are happening. Can we talk about it? Maybe they didn't have the courage to do that. But but you could tell something wasn't right. Think back to that, that worst moment of 2006. I want to say to you something. Based on Mark 14, the life of Peter, while it was foreseeable, it's also forgivable. This is not the end. Hallelujah. Last night, I was uh, going to put Brooke and Brandon to bed with Julie. And uh, we, were, we had an extremely busy day. 
And Brianna had got up yesterday morning and asked me. She said, Dad, can you take me to Walmart to get my pictures? We've uploaded some pictures and we're going to pick them up in one hour on Friday. Well, Friday slipped by. I said, Brianna, Saturday we'll get them. So Saturday morning rolls along. She gets up. She says, Dad, can we go to Walmart today? I said, Brianna, we will go today to get your pictures. Like Peter in verse 29. And I'm like all over this. Today is your day, Brianna. The pictures are in our hands. Super Daddy, you know. Well, about 9.30, she comes in the kitchen. I'm sitting there and they're eating a snack. And she looks at me and she says, Daddy, when am I getting my pictures? Man, did I feel awful. I felt smaller than that. And immediately right then, I mean, the, the male father thing kicked in, Michael, to pretend. <laughs> you know? Instead of being the folly protector, I'm like, Brenna, I wanted to say things like, I've had a busy day, but instead I just, I mean, I felt awful. I felt terrible. So I said, man, I need to fall upon the mercy of my nine-year-old daughter. So I said, Brianna, um, I, that was your, I didn't get them today. We didn't go. And she looked at Mills' big old eyes, you know, and I'm like, um, you know, so I said, I'm sorry. Uh, will you forgive me? I said, I just, I dropped the ball. I messed up. I made a promise to you at 8 o'clock, and uh, I didn't keep it. And I said, I don't want to be that kind of dad to you. Will you forgive me? And I picked her up, and she said, oh, I forgive you, Daddy. And she's extremely forgiving, you know. Um, I don't think she meant that. And we hugged, and I said to her, I'm going to get those pictures tomorrow. <laughs> I promise, you know. Don't let, don't let me forget, Okay. But as we hugged, I set her down, she went to bed, and I thought, wow, it sure feels good to be forgiven. And you know, my offense really was foreseeable. Did you know that? It's, I mean, it's on a small scale compared to, to March 14. But I set myself up. I mean, we had, I think, four basketball games. We had a car breakdown. Things just weren't in our favor. But good old dad making grandiose promises that, you know what, it was great that in spite of of my own weaknesses and my foreseeable failure to my nine-year-old daughter, she found a way to forgive me. I want to say to you, your worst moment as a parent or as a spouse, as an employee, as an employer, as bad as you may be feeling right now about it, it is forgivable because of the grace and mercy and blood of Jesus Christ. You can look forward to 07 regardless of what happened in 06. You may say, Todd, I had my worst moment in 06. You may have. You can have your most forgiving moment in 07. Let me show you another Scripture that shows Peter enjoying and... um, Moving on from this experience because of this forgiveness that I think began to happen in verse 72. Look over at John 21. Would you real briefly? John 21. Now remember what I just said. I think the forgiveness technically happened in Mark 14 about verse 72. I think he looked at the Lord. I think he remembered the words. And somewhere in that he realized, wow... I have dropped the ball, but Jesus Christ didn't drop the ball. He's who He said He was. And I think a process of forgiveness began to happen. It was revealed in His emotions. Now watch this. 
I think it began to it culminated here on the on the shore of of um, by this fireside breakfast, so to speak, on the shore. I think this is where that forgiveness culminated. Christ had already risen from the dead. He had walked around for several days. And so he comes to the shore. He finds the, some of the disciples fishing. Some folks say they had gone back to fishing because they, had, they were done with Christ. I'm not sure I buy that entire argument. I think they weren't sure what to do. Were they a little disappointed or perhaps uh, disillusioned? Perhaps. But I think it was more out of like, what do we do? He led us for three years. We left everything to follow Him. So we're not sure what to do. He just kind of died overnight. And it was a mock trial in the middle of the night done behind closed doors. So all of that caught them off guard. I'm not sure they were necessarily mad or like rejecting Him as much as they were. They just were very unsure and, and wondering what to do. So Christ shows up. This is not the first time He sees them, but He shows up here on the shore and He says, when they finish eating, verse 15, He says to Simon, Simon, son of Jonah, do you truly love me more than these? What a question from the Lord after His worst moment. By the way, you know what I think more than these refers to? Some think it means the disciples sitting around there. Could be. I think it probably means people in general. Because if you look back at Mark 14 and the whole denial, who did He love the most? Himself and other people. He was so worried about His image. He was so worried that you can't connect me with that Messiah, man. I'll not look right. You may think I'm a certain thing that I... So He was doing His best to make sure He didn't get connected to Jesus. So Christ asked Him, Hey, do you love me more than these? I think He may mean just other things that are tempting and, and pulling Peter away. Yes, Lord, He said, You know that I love you. And by the way, I, I, in the Greek, the words you know seem to be an emphatic part of the sentence. I think it went like this. If you're on the shore, I think the Lord said, Peter, do you, do you love me more than these? And I think Peter looked at him and said, You know, you know. If anybody knows, you know that I love you. Because he remembers that when he made the last grand statement, would the Lord say, Peter, you, you don't even mean what you say. I know you're going to deny me. Christ knew things Peter didn't even know. And now on this next question, he says, uh, I know you know what I'm going to say. You know, Isn't it cool? You know that I love you. So he said, feed my lambs. And then he asked him again, Simon, son of Jonah, do you truly love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And yes, I do believe that he asked him three times in response to his three denials. This is probably within a week of when it happened. It was fresh in his memory. And Christ, I believe, was in a proper biblical way jogging his mind about what had happened. Like, Peter, I know you're probably still beating yourself up, but don't. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you really love me? Yes. Okay, we'll get through this. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. Boy, isn't that a true statement by the, by the mouth of Peter? Lord, you know all things. I'm not going to make any more grand statements. I'm not going to try to prove you right or wrong. I'll just tell you, you know everything. And he says, you know that I love you. Then he said, feed my sheep. And then he goes on to talk about his future. Look at verse 18. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. That's true about Peter, isn't it? He was a very self-confident, do-it-my-way kind of guy. I mean, he tried to take care of the whole Roman army with one strike of the sword. But look what he says now. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands 
And someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. They tell what does that mean? Well, he tells us. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. History shows that Peter had his arms stretched out, nailed to a cross, and he was crucified upside down. But watch this. Look what it says. This was signifying the kind of death he would undergo to glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. You know what Christ did in this simple conversation? He took his focus off the fall. He had Peter say three times, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, I know you do. And Peter, better things are in store. Your whole future is going to glorify me. Isn't that awesome? You say, Todd, that's not a pretty thought. Being crucified, talking about his future death. No, you're missing the point. If our whole life's goal is to glorify God, for some that may be a tragedy. That may be an awful death. For some it may be some other vehicle. But if the end goal is to bring glory to God, then our future is awesome. If you never make a million dollars, have a lot of land, or drive a nice car, but you glorify God, hello church, guess what? That's great. If in 2000, nothing really fantastic happens at your job, if you don't get to move into that bigger home, don't worry about it. If your life brings glory to God, if your future brings glory to God, you're okay. Man, this is awesome what Christ did with Peter. I think he went to Peter and said, Peter, you're still reeling from the fall, but guess what? You have a future ahead that's incredible. Yes, it's difficult. You'll be martyred, but guess what? You will glorify me. That is a bright promise. That's the way I want to leave 06 and look to 07. I want to take my worst moments, build a bridge from them to the future, and say, God, whatever happened, if you can use it to bring glory to your name, in whatever way you want to, I'm okay with that. It's a great heart's cry, isn't it? Let me wrap this up in a sentence for you. You can jot this down if you want to. Maybe jot it in real big letters because you probably have a lot of space left on your teaching tool somewhere to write some notes, right? And a lot of you say, I take notes really well, but if I don't kind of prompt you sometimes, you're not sure what to write. We're going to get better at that. Don't worry. I'm not going to prompt you on everything. You can write as the Holy Spirit leads you and, and take good notes on your own. It's kind of like college, but that's okay. We're here to learn. Amen? Let me give you one simple sentence to remember from today. The bridge from my fall to my future is God's forgiveness. Hallelujah. Isn't that neat? That's just, that's just a great sentence to live on for a few days. The bridge between my fall, you may want to in parentheses write 2006, and your mind goes back to what happened, to that day or that week or that conversation or that act or that habit. Todd, I don't want to think about that. And I'm okay. I know what you're saying. But humanly speaking, when you think about that fall, can I say to you that the future doesn't have to be the same as the past. And the bridge between the two is not your positive thinking ability. It's not your employer. It's not your human determination. It is God's forgiveness. I believe that when we realize God's forgiveness 
takes me from my fall to my future, then our future is not based on, on humanistic thoughts such as salary, position, power. But it's based on what he taught Peter here and what Paul taught in the Corinthian epistles. In everything we do, bring glory to God. Isn't that awesome? Julie and I played a game last night on our anniversary. We made up this game. We were out to eat. And um, we played this game called If I Never. It's a great game for couples. So we went back and forth. We said, you know what, if I never... And we had to finish the statement. I'd been thinking all week about this. I was writing in my own journal about some of these thoughts. And I thought, you know, if I never pastor a church of a thousand people, that's okay. I don't want to lose my wife and my family at a cost that... I'm not saying you have to choose either one. Don't get me wrong. But it's just, if I never, you know. I'm not lying to you. I mean, I, you guys know my heart. I want our church to impact as many people as possible and reach as far as it can. So I, I hope we do grow. But if it never happens, guess what? I'm okay with that. Amen? If my life brings glory to God, I'm okay with that. She said, you know, if I never, the big home, I'm okay with that. If my life brings glory to God. I said, you know, if I never drive a new car, but a 93 Saturn and a 98 van, guess what? I'm okay with that. And you know, I told her, I said, you know, honey, it's funny. You believe these things. I said, we've believed them for 18 years. We started off our marriage saying, you know what? We're just going to pursue God and, and do the right thing. But you always hold out hope for maybe the big house and the, the you know, you kind of hold out hope. Well, maybe. But at some point, you actually start believing it more than here. You start believing it here. You know what? That if my life just glorifies God, if in some way He would use me for His purposes, you know what? It really is okay if nothing else ever happens. I mean, you actually start believing what you thought you believed when you first got married. And we had a sweet time. Just playing the game, if I never. And it refocused us to what our real jobs really are. To do our best to send four disciples out into the world to try to have a super marriage so that when I don't work here anymore and you've forgotten my name, she's still with me. Praise God. Amen. I mean, there's something to be said for those kind of things. So guys... As you look at 06 and as you look at 07, as you think about the past and the future, your fall, what's ahead, I think the bridge to the right kind of year next year is rooted in God's forgiveness. To be willing to say, I'm going to start again. I'm not going to give up. But it's not because of me. I'm going to root my... Um, I'm going to ground and root my... my uh, future, my determination, and what God has done in my life because of Jesus Christ. His blood shed for me covers my sin. And I'm going to pick myself up, so to speak, in the right sense of the word. I'm going to move on. You know, it's good that Peter moved on, isn't it? Because there are about 3,000 people at Pentecost who were thankful he had the courage to get up and preach. 3,000 folks that day accepted the message that Jesus Christ had risen. They were baptized. Became part of the very first church in Jerusalem. Isn't that pretty neat? I'm glad Peter looked forward. I'm glad he crossed the bridge and said, Man, God forgive me for an awful Mark 14. 
I had a pretty good John 21, and I got an awesome Acts 2. Aren't you glad Peter marched on? You can move, you can move on too. You can. That's the footprint that you ought to try to use to close out 06. That's the Christmas footprint that you ought to ask God to stamp on your life. God, get me from my falls to my future because of your forgiveness. Let me show you something here as I close. I'm holding in my hands a sheet of paper that I printed out 51 weeks ago. Some of your names are on here. This is the chart, the, the, the sheet that we printed out based on your decisions to go public last year. Now, some of you are new to our church. You're like, man, I'm glad I came this year. I didn't come last year. He'll, I'm not going to read your names. And everybody's going, whoo, he can keep his job. I know what you're thinking, right? But this is a list of people who last year, on the first week of January, 51 weeks ago, publicly wrote comments on their cards that this year I want to, and you wrote some things down. Let me give you some examples. I'm not mentioning your names. Someone here wrote, I want to become a church member. And they did, by the way. Someone here said, I want to get regular in my devotions. I suspect they did. I don't know. Um, someone here said, I want to get into daily Bible reading and witness to my coworker. Someone over here to quit thinking negative thoughts. Someone here, encourage our kids to follow the Lord closer. Another comment, learn to encourage and help fellow Christians. Here's another one. I want to be a verbal support for young moms. Here's one. Uh, I want to be clearer in my words and my speech. One writes, I want to give more financially. Another one writes, I want to read my Bible and pray to start out my day. One writes here, I know God has called me to the ministry. And I'll be in a full-time position one day. and That's pretty awesome. Here's another one. I want to memorize Scripture every week. And I want to give at least one week of my life away to serve in 2006. Here's one. I'd like to get baptized. And they did. Here's one. I want to manage the money God has given me better. Another person writes, I want to take care of my own health in order to be more effective for God. And I know this person, and they did. No one writes here, I will be missionary soon, and I like the wisdom of raising money for support, for support and health to carry out our mission. Here's another one. Not afraid of showing my faith. Here's the last two. I want to find out the truth about heaven and hell. From what I know about this person, uh, they've become a believer in 06. Here's another one. I want to go public with my decision to believe in Jesus and the Gospel. That person, along with about 20-some others this past year, received Christ here at First Family. Now, you may have recognized your comment in there. I've kept this with me all year. And I've prayed for you guys. I don't know how all of you did. I didn't check in with you like your accountability partner, you know, and make the weekly call. I didn't do all that. But I just prayed for you. And I, I wonder how you did, you know. Regardless of how you did, maybe you're saying, Todd, I wrote that on there, and I don't think I made any progress, man. My, I had a tough fall. Not a seasonal word there, okay? I had a tough fall. Maybe you're thinking, Todd, I did pretty good there. Now that you remind me, I, I made some real progress. Regardless of that, make 2007 
a year in which God's forgiveness gets you from where you are to where He wants you to be. To a life that glorifies Him. Man, maybe you recognize your comment and you're like, Todd, I'm going to renew that commitment. There's someone told me this. In fact, RJ told me this this past week. He said, I really want to get baptized, Todd. I was really proud of him, you know. There's other folks here who are believers and you've never scripturally been baptized after your conversion by immersion. It'd be a great year to say, I'm going to follow the Lord and obey Him and get baptized the biblical way. We'll be baptizing here at the end of January. I'd sign up. Obey God. There could be other areas that, that you want to deal with. Can I encourage you that whether it's being involved in a church, making a decision to have a home that is more closely aligned with the Word of God, maybe it's with your finances, maybe it's with a personal habit. Can you look to 07 and say, Lord, I want to leave behind the fall. And through your forgiveness, I want to look to the future. A life that brings glory to your name. That happens through His forgiveness. Forgiveness happens, I believe, when we do like Peter did. When we repent of our sin. I want to encourage some of you this on New Year's Eve to find some time today to engage in a place of repentance. It might be really healthy for some of our couples to weep together about their marriage over 2006. And for the husband to say, I've not been the right kind of husband or, uh, to you. Will you forgive me? Let's look to our future of glorifying God together. Maybe a wife should apologize to her husband. Maybe to the kids. Or maybe it's other areas. But man, when we go out and weep bitterly, so to speak, in light of our fall, but know that God's forgiveness gets us to the future of glorifying Him, that can be a very healthy place to be. I don't think repentance is filling out a New Year's resolution list. Man, I'm just going to do that better. Well, in your flesh you won't. Amen? But by the power of God and His forgiveness, He will empower you to make 2007 a year in which His footprint of forgiveness enables you to bring glory to His name. That's what I'm praying for all of us. A little bit of Peter all over the church. Let's leave Mark 14, experience John 21, and find a place of Acts 2 through 4. Amen.